Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, today we're going to be focusing on the prophetic. Uh, we're going to read the prophet's portion for this week, the half Torah. And uh, that happens to be Isaiah chapter 54, the first 10 verses. And uh, again, if you don't know what the Haftorah is or what the prophet's portion is, uh, I invite you to go look it up, to Google it, or to go to scriptureandprophecy.com. I think by like the second page of the blog there, you'll find, second or third page, you'll find an explanation for that. Isaiah 54 uh, deals with this eternal covenant of peace. This, you know, this, it's very... uh, uh, God reaching out, um, reminding of promises. It, it's a very uh, peaceful and encouraging word from the Lord. We're also going to read the gospel portion for this week, which happens to be Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 42. So neither one of these are very long. Uh, but 29 verses 29 through 42 deal with the coming of the Son of Man, the lesson of the fig tree, and a reminder to stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Important words for us in the times that we are living in today, my friends. And then if there's any time left after I do that, which I imagine there will be, Uh, I'm going to read a chapter from my most recent book, Faith, Obedience, and the End of Time. So that is kind of what we're focusing on this morning. I'm praying that it goes forth and blesses you and pierces hearts and causes you to draw all the more closely to God and to His Son, Jesus, who I believe is coming very soon. So without further delay, let's dig right in. Let's go to Isaiah Chapter 54, to start the eternal covenant of peace, verses 1 through 10. Verse 1. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and the people the desolate cities. Fear not. For you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. 
In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I will not be angry with you, and I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And that is the prophet's portion for this week. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 10. I don't know about you, but verses 9 and 10 are jumping out to me. This is like the days of Noah to me. You know, he's swearing that he's going to have compassion, that he's going to remember his people, that he's going to gather them back to himself. And he says, this is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Now let's take that. And let's go to Matthew chapter 24 for the prophet or for the gospel portion for the week. Verse starting with verse 29. Here's what it says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds, one from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as this branches become tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And that is the gospel portion for this week. And so if there's anything to take away this morning from these two things. It would be that, number one, God has not forgotten you. He's not forsaken you. He's, he's not forgot about his bride. He is the Lord Savaot. 
right? Yahweh Sava'ot, the Lord of hosts. He is your Redeemer. He is the Holy One of Israel. And Jesus said, you know, you take a lesson from the fig tree, right? You know when its branches become tender and little, and it starts to put out its leaves, right? When it starts to bud, you can look at that and go, hey, we must be getting close to summer. He's saying you should be able to tell what season you're in. And it's going to be like the days of Noah. No one really knows the exact day or the hour or anything like that, but you can tell the season that you're in. People will be doing normal things. They'll still be drinking. They'll still be marrying. They'll still be giving in to marriage. And then Noah goes into the ark. And they were all unaware that this was happening. And then sudden destruction comes. And it's like two men will be in a field. One will be taking the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taking the other left. And that very last line, Therefore stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now the Feast of Trumpets is coming up very, very quickly. And I think if there's ever been a Feast of Trumpets to be on high alert, it's this one. By the way, I'm not date setting or anything. If you've listened to this podcast for the last seven years, you know that I always take the Feast of Trumpets seriously and pay attention. And uh, my hope is that next week I'll have the time to put together a little booklet f- for the Feast of Trumpets that you'll be able to download for free from the website, kind of like I did with the Passover booklet uh, a couple of years ago. That's my goal, Lord willing. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off or not, but I'd like to put a little booklet together so we have something to kind of go by every year. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm just telling you in advance, I'm on high alert for Feast of Trumpets just like every year, but this is one of those years where I'm really on high alert, okay? I think we need to be paying serious, close attention. Uh, those The Feast of Trumpet dates are somewhere between... September 6th and the 8th, you know, we don't, the, the way it's set up, the way the Feast of Trumpets is set up, you don't, you can't really pinpoint the day because it goes by the sighting of the sliver of the moon, okay, so it's it's kind of an unknown time, you know generally when it's going to happen, but you got to be watching and paying attention. Anyway. So that's the plan. Next week is for me to get that made, and hopefully we can cover it at the end of the week before Feast of Trumpets is upon us already. So just to give you an idea. All right. Uh, We have a few minutes here. I'd like to just read some from uh, my recent book, Faith, Obedience, and the End of Time. Uh, I'm going to cover a quick chapter with you, and then we'll be done uh, for all of this, I'm just trying to decide which ca- which chapter I want to cover here. If I want to cover spiritual warfare or the lost art of obedience. These are the names of the chapters. Uh, Time to Fear the Lord, The Birth Pains, and The Faith of the Saints. Uh, let's, just do, let's just do the first chapter. Spiritual Warfare. Let me begin here. As we consider the times we are facing, we must understand that we are not at war with other men so much as we are involved in a great spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of, the, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We tend to think that we are at war with a certain political party, false religion, or social construct, which we are. However, the source behind it all is an evil spiritual force. The false gods of this world, the fallen angels, and Satan, rule over the nations of this world, deceiving the people and tempting them to do wickedness. One of my favorite examples in the Bible, which paints the perfect picture of what has actually taken place behind the scenes and how what goes on behind the scenes affects us in the natural world comes from the book of Daniel. In this story, Daniel was mourning and fasting about a vision he had seen. He is desperate for an answer from God, and finally, after three full weeks of fasting and praying, he receives his answer. This answer would be delivered to Daniel at the hands of an angel of God. Daniel chapter 2, verses 2 through 6 say this. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is in Hedekel, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like a barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet in the color of polished brass. And the voice of his words were like a voice of a multitude. This is one of, if not the most amazing descriptions of an angel in all the Bible. Likewise, it is one of the most amazing interactions between a servant of God, Daniel, and a messenger servant from heaven. However, what is more incredible is what the angel would tell Daniel about his delay. As it turns out, the angel was dispatched on the very day that Daniel set out to humble himself before God and pray, and yet it took three full weeks. What was the holdup? The angel describes he was hindered by another being in the spiritual realm and could not get to Daniel with his message until the great angel Michael came to his assistance. Daniel chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee I am now sent. And when he had spoken these words unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst see thy heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. What an amazing story and a perfect example of spiritual warfare taking place in the unseen realm and then being manifested in the natural. It's important to notice that even while Daniel didn't realize what was going on behind the scene, he still played a very important role in the battle. His role did not involve carnal weapons of this world. 
but a spiritual weapon, praying and fasting. It may tempt us at times to think God is ignoring our prayers or doesn't care about our situation. We may even stop praying or end, up, or end our fast early, thinking to ourselves, what is the point? We must understand the severity of the war we are in and understand what our whole role is and what our weapons are. We cannot win a war in, this, in the manner that the world fights wars. We must do it God's way. Let's start by identifying what are the weapons of spiritual warfare, as are defined by the Apostle Paul. It starts by putting on the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The very first piece of armor Paul recommends is a belt of truth. This belt helps keep the whole assembly together. If you didn't have truth as your armor, the rest of your pieces would be weak and ineffective at keeping the enemy at bay. How can you even begin to resist the evil day and the wiles of the devil if you're not grounded in God's truth? I see this all too often among Christians, especially in the times that we are living now. They claim to be people of faith, and yet they are cowering in the face of our trials because their truth is the world's truth. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Unfortunately, the word righteousness has been thrown out by the modern church which has a lot to do with why our world is in the situation it's in. In fact, many so-called Christians cringe at the word. They don't want to have their sensual living convicted by righteousness and holiness. This piece of armor is arguably the largest piece of the whole set. It covers the vital organs, such as the heart and the lungs. In battle, the easiest target on a man is the torso region. It is the largest and easiest to attack. If you're not walking in righteousness, if you fail to put on that breastplate, you're leaving yourself at great exposure to the enemy. The third piece would be the boots. With these boots, we are to walk in the peace of the gospel. Many Christians lack peace today. Again, they live in fear and are altogether ineffective for the kingdom. They have become the salt who has lost its saltiness. They have failed to put on truth by allowing the television and the other worldly methods to inform their thoughts and therefore they are unable to put on the boots of peace and walk in them. We must remember that at all times to walk in the promises of God and allow the gospel to inform our thoughts so that we might walk in this great peace regardless of the worldly circumstances. The fourth piece is the shield of faith. Paul says, above all, taking the shield of faith, placing a great importance on this piece, exalting it above the other pieces. Faith is the engine which propels all the other disciplines. It's the key to spiritual warfare. 
It's our shield against the fiery arrows which are shot in our direction every single day. How could we possibly survive the blows of Satan without a shield? It's a critical piece to our armor. We must trust and believe the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom of God. We must believe God has our best interest at heart, and he will come through for us, and he will save us and protect us. All too often, we lower our shield, and the enemy begins to launch ammunition right into our beings. Even if you're lacking your other pieces of armor, holding up that shield of faith can block many of those attacks. The fifth piece is the helmet of salvation. There are many injuries we can survive, but one of the most difficult to overcome, and in many circumstances impossible to overcome, is a head injury. You must have a helmet. You need a helmet when biking or competing in a motorsport, and especially when going to war. A blow to the head is a game ender. Could there be anything more important than your salvation? Before we can even consider using the rest of our armory, we must first be saved. We must first trust in Christ, his death, and resurrection. Every day we must put on this helmet of salvation and rejoice in the finished work of the cross. The sixth and last piece is our weapon, our sword. The sword is the word of God. And this is how we are to make our attacks. It's not through the natural weapons of war. Those only destroy. It is by the word of God and nothing more. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints of morrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A good swordsman, one who could compete well in battle, must be well-practiced and disciplined. A sword has to be wielded every single day in order for the warrior to remain sharp and skilled. Likewise, a Christian, if he wishes to have any weapon at all, must practice his skills of the word daily. A sword becomes part of the warrior. He is one with it. So too, we must be one with the word. Its use must come easy and natural through our diligent practice of using it. The world we are living in is not going to get any easier. And it's certainly not going to get any friendlier towards the followers of Messiah, Jesus. The scriptures are clear that in the end, the whole world will gather to do battle against our God and those who love him. Sadly, most Christians today are walking around naked. They have no armor, no truth, no faith, no sword, and frankly, no salvation either. With that said... God always has a remnant. And those of us who are part of that remnant must armor up every morning. We must seek his face while it is early. And we must be ready at all times to defend against the enemy. And to do battle in the spiritual realm. So that is the first chapter of my book. In case you haven't had a chance to check it out yet faith obedience and the end of time and if you're wondering the general theme well there you go that kind of helps set the stage for uh, what's found in there and you can pick up a copy of that by going to scripture and prophecy.com faith 
or just go to the website. There's banners there. Or if you're watching, listening on YouTube, there's links in the description. That's our study for this morning. And I really hope that this you know, work this morning has just really equipped you for today. Equipped you for the weekend. And it's equipping you for the things that we're dealing with and that we are going to deal with. I pray that you've been blessed. You've been encouraged. Thanks for listening. Thank you to those of you who are willing to support this work to make it possible. Thank you for your prayers. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.